By now, you've probably seen ads about water contamination at Camp Lejeune everywhere on TV, social media, and probably even following you around on the internet. The water at Marine Corps Base Camp Lejeune was contaminated with toxic chemicals for more than three decades. It is not rare for people who drank this water for an extended period of time to develop severe illness, including kidney cancer, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, leukemia, liver cancer, bladder cancer, birth defects, Parkinson's, and more. A new law called the PACT Act allows victims of poisoned water to seek repayment for their medical costs. What those other ads don't tell you is that because the PACT Act is a fresh law, it is important to find an attorney who understands the new claims forms. There is limited time to file your Camp Lejeune claim, so you need a lawyer who can get it right the first time. The experienced team of attorneys at SickMarine.com is ready to file your claim. They will fight for you and won't take no for an answer. To file your claim and to have your case prioritized, sign up at SickMarine.com. Want to create a breakthrough gene therapy or life-saving vaccine? Pioneer Aerospace Excellence? Take your hospitality tech brand international? Montgomery County, Maryland is where you can do all that and more. Use our ideal location next to D.C. Diverse world-class talent and our vast business resources to be the next company to make your mark and transform the world. Visit bnext.thinkmoco.com. That's bnext.thinkmoco.com to learn how we can help you create something remarkable. Millions of despairing men, women, and little children, victims of a system that makes men torture and imprison innocent people. You cannot shake hands with a clenched fist. Produced by a nuclear exchange would be carried by wind and water and soil and seed to the far corners of the kingdom of God, the The kingdom kingdom of heaven. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. We're not saying that planet Earth is coming to an end. We're saying that planet Earth is about to be refurbished, spaded under, and have another chance to serve as a garden for another civilization. Most of the people in here are just your reflections. They're your mistakes. 1776 will commence again if you try to take our firearms. One million of the planet's eight million species are threatened. You are what you repeatedly do. Therefore, excellence ought to be a habit, not an act. Your lives and the credibility of the United Nations is at stake. Epstein didn't kill himself. The reason this is such an interesting time is not only because we're on the threshold of the end of this civilization. They're trying to take you out with bullshit. The experience of the past two years has proven beyond doubt that no nation can appease the Nazis. To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die, and the power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. In the language of the U.S. Department of Defense, these are unidentified aerial phenomena. Roswell's a very interesting place with a lot of people that would like to know what's going on. Uh, there is very compelling evidence that we uh, we may not be alone. This is the Garden of Doom. Spooky welcome into this week's Garden of Doom, which is the Halloween episode. And in the garden all month, we've been planting children of the corn and pumpkins and other gourds and scarecrows and things that are terrifying. It's been night, 24 hours a day. Are there even days? So, this is our 
actual formal Halloween episode. And I couldn't think of a scarier person than someone I've known for probably 25 years, Stephanie Theban, a lawyer, an author, and a lawyer. So what's scarier than that? Um, but yeah, I've known Stephanie since the late 90s. Um, we both sort of got fired by the same client different times, but probably for the same reasons. So we have that together. Um, her firm stuck by her. Mine didn't. Uh, <laughs> so that, you know, but there you go. Uh, so, but we're going to stick on her love of literature and we're going to stick to horror today, sort of the origins of horror and, and focus a little bit on the American horror, though American horror wasn't baked in a, in its own unique cake. So we're going to talk about some other stuff too. So first we're going to welcome Stephanie into the garden. Miss Theban, how are you? Good, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Um, I do love books and I love literature. Uh, my, uh, my degree before I went to law school was a humanities degree with a teaching certificate to be a librarian because that was the degree that gave you the uh, most opportunity to hang out in the library, and I'm pretty much still doing that. Um, it, we're going to talk about horror today, and I thought it'd be nice to kind of think a little bit about what it is and why we like it. It's defined as being some intense feeling of fear, disgust, or shock. Yeah. <laughs> and we like it. Now, there's a lot of things that we like. We like to be scared. Maybe we like to be scared because when we read a book or we watch a movie, we're scared of something, but we know we're really safe. So we get to have this little bit of an adrenaline rush and you don't really have to, you know, bungee jump. Yeah, the interesting thing about... Do something ridiculously dangerous. Right, you have to, you know, you have to risk your actual life and limb unless you have a weak heart. Um, but the interesting thing about horror literature is that it's very different than horror media in, in like TV and movies, especially movies. And... and I have my own little definition of what's a horror movie versus other things because there's a lot of things that sort of blur the lines. And this is my definition, and not everyone has to accept it, but I think it works pretty well And that for something to be a horror movie or property, whether it's TV or, or movie, the star of the movie really is whatever the horror is. Whereas for a thriller or a psychological thriller or an action movie with scary parts, there's still a star. So while uh, uh, Die Hard has some scares in it, or Fatal Attraction was a scary movie, Vanilla Sky was a scary movie, the stars are still the humans. John McClane was the star. Whereas in Jaws, the horror was the star. The, the, you know, there was an ensemble cast. Um, the closest thing to breaking that mold might be Laurie Strode and Halloween. But even so, I would say that in the original, Dr. Loomis, Laurie Strode, whoever Kyle Richards was playing, um, the, 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 the police sheriff, you know, they were all sort of an ensemble. But Michael Myers was the star. Um, so that, that's how I sort of differentiate. And that's why I think Alien is a horror movie. Aliens is an action movie. 
Terminator was a horror movie. T2, more of an action movie. And, and that's sort of my definition. But in the books, doesn't work that way necessarily. I mean, and, and I think that a lot of times you have more duality in, in uh, horror books. Uh, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you'll convince me otherwise. Well, no, I think a big difference between movies that a lot of people call horror movies and books is that a lot of the horror movies are real reliant on the jump scare. Yeah. And the books that I consider horror books are much more concerned with the anticipation that something awful is going to happen, the suspense, and also that line between when the when something's really happening and when your main character perceives that it's happening, there's always, not always, but there's often that line of ambiguity between is it real or is it the insanity of the, the person? And sometimes it's a blend. Um, and just skipping a little ahead to something that I was going to talk about, but uh, Shirley Jackson's The Haunting of Hill House I listened to the audiobook of that recently. And for people who want to experience scary books, it's fine to read them. But if you're not much of a reader, it's just as good or better to listen to it because you get the narrator's voice. You get that increase in pace and slowing in pace that can really build up that tension. But that story, there's been movies, there's been TV series, and they all change it. So the original novel is this group of people that are asked to go to a house because this man wants to investigate paranormal happenings. The main character is this woman, Eleanor, and Eleanor is already a mess. Eleanor's in her early 30s she has never had a life she's been bullied by her sister and her mother she's spent her whole life taking care of her ill mother and her mother has finally thank god died she thinks maybe she died because when her mother banged on the wall asking for help she didn't wake up or maybe she did wake up and just chose to go back to sleep so that she would die. So there's just, she's already got this really crazy angst going on, and she's the main character. She's the one that you see things through. And there are all kinds of things that are happening. Some of them other people see. A lot of them other people don't see. Some of them are other people in the house think she's doing them and you're not sure whether she is or not. And this whole thing about being able to tell what's real and what's not real creates this tremendous suspense. And then the, the, the final scene involves an action that only she could take. So is the horror the spirit that is inhabiting the house has the spirit of the house actually possessed her and is inhabiting her or is she just crazy from the get-go and not much of it is really happening so it, to me that's a perfect horror novel because you, you the whole time you're on edge trying to figure out did that really happen 
oh, are they right? Did she write her own name on the wall to make them think that the spirit was after her? So, yeah, that to me, that's a big difference between the horror movies and a horror book. Because in a movie, they can't get into all of that that's going on inside someone's head nearly as effectively. And that sometimes they'll show it to you so that they're showing you what they're seeing and you don't know if it's real or not but you don't get the thoughts of even the person thinking did that really happen and i mean there's a part in there where she's saying why are they reacting to that pounding because the pounding is coming from inside my head right why i don't understand why can they hear the pounding that i hear and i that's just something that how do you do that in a movie they try but it's really hard to do that as effectively as you'd like to see. So, There's a studio called A24, which they're, as far as my enjoyment of their movies are concerned, it's probably about 50-50. Um, but they're pretty good at that, blurring the line between whether someone's crazy or whether it's really happening. Um, and sometimes it's not that clear. Now, usually at the end, they let you know that whether it's clear or if you watch it more than once, you can tell what, what it is. Um, but the, the first watch, unless you're really a student, it, it's harder. But, uh, but I strongly recommend like The Witch, Hereditary. I'm trying to think of some of the others. But anyway, uh, The Lighthouse. I'm not even sure they're all, all A24, but I think they are. Anyway, um, but not about me, about you. You know what's funny? I, I love The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix, and but what you're describing is not at all the show that I saw that I love. So um, I, I think now I've got a, you know, next time I get a audible credit, uh, I'll have to mix that in there in, in between my uh, other quote-unquote reading and uh, other things that I read from this show or as a result of this show, including some stuff recommended be recommended to me by a, by a shaman, um, well, I'm a mixed bag, just like they are not doing. Anyway, back to you. So you have divided this sort of as horror for children, but you noted that the lines are blurry, and I think that's very clear. Uh, there, was, there was just one other thing that I wanted to say about why we like horror, and there, there is a theory out there that human beings are, all of us have a kind of a beastly streak all of us would like to be able to do horrible things. We're held back by society, by our consciences, and we don't do them. But, and I've I've had a theory for a long time. My husband is of Italian-American extraction, and his family has what I consider sometimes to be a fairly unhealthy fascination with mafia movies. I think that a lot of that comes from, man, wouldn't you just like to whack someone who has bullied you, made your life miserable? You you just like to torture them, and you can't, but those people do. And so there's a, a real kind of maybe cathartic thing about watching people do terrible things. Uh, I, always, I always think of the Carrie Underwood song because... Trust me, there are plenty of girls who wish they could get away with taking a Louisville slugger to both headlights. And uh, and that's a little spooky, too. 
So you probably just say which Carrie Underwood song it is. I'm not sure my audience is the Carrie Underwood uh, audience. No, uh, it, it it's uh, before. Before he cheats. Before he cheats. Yeah. So before I, he cheats. See, I'm a man of wide ranging tastes and 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 uh, experiences. No, I do agree with you on that. We all want we all want to be. You know, be, you know, big bad Leroy Brown, someone that you don't want to mess with, or if you do, you're going to regret it, like the uh, Jack Reacher character in in all in the all those books. You know, the the the, the stranger in town. Uh, of course, if anyone listened to the song, big uh, Leroy Brown, he he actually meets someone who's tougher than him and beats the crap out of him. Um, but uh, any, anyway, uh, but we missed the we missed that lesson somewhere. Anyway. Uh, Back, you know, and, and the final thing is just the idea of trying to figure out how the mind of someone who want to create a breakthrough gene therapy or life-saving vaccine? Pioneer Aerospace Excellence? Take your hospitality tech brand international? Montgomery County, Maryland is where you can do all that and more. Use our ideal location next to D.C. Diverse world-class talent and our vast business resources to be the next company to make your mark and transform the world. Visit bnext.thinkmoco.com. That's bnext.thinkmoco.com to learn how we can help you create something remarkable does horrible things, how it works. I mean, and you, th that's why there have been so many movies like about Charles Manson and Ted Bundy. It's why, and especially Charles Manson, how do you, how do you talk other people into committing those crimes? It's, there, there's just a fascination with evil and understanding evil. Maybe if you don't want to be evil, you want to understand it. Well, and, I, I would say from the other side, you're more, it might not be the fascination with evil. It may be with uh, your fascination with yourself and worrying about would you succumb? Like what, you know, could you be the one who's who's been duped? I mean, you know, the every conspiracy theory is that someone somewhere is controlling everything and you know so we're all subjected to that whether we vote a particular way whether we subscribe to a particular religion whether we love a particular team i mean we we all have some tribal behavior there so uh i, I think there is a fascination with evil but i think the root cause is fear of ourselves oh i think you're right about that and i, I have another story that i want to talk about a little bit later that that really ties into that and may or may not quite fit into horror, but it does for me. Um, you were about to move us on to children, I think, and I've, I've got some Grimm's fairy tales that I was going to talk about. Let, let's do it. That are pretty darn awful. They're pretty First grim. All, everybody, <laughs> everybody knows about Cinderella, and they know about the Disney-fied version. And I won't tell the Cinderella story again, but just to get you into the uh, world of the Grimm brothers, in the original, the stepmother told her daughters to cut their toes off so they would fit in the slippers. And there's just blood gushing. And it, it's, it's just not a nice story. So that's that's where you can kind of get a feel for how gory it can be. I, I've got a couple that I thought were pretty nominally horrible. Fairy tales are obviously sometimes used just to scare children into behaving 
and there's a fairy tale called The Willful Child. Mm. There once was a child, she was terribly willful. She would never do what her mother wanted her to do. She would talk back. She wouldn't go to bed. She wouldn't eat her vegetables. She wouldn't come in when it was time for dinner. She was willful. This made her mother very unhappy. It also made God unhappy. Because in this story, God is vengeful. Because God didn't like her, she became ill. And she died. They dug the grave. They put her in the grave. And they tossed the dirt on top of her. She was still willful. Uh -oh. Her hand and arm reached up out of the out of the dirt, and she was coming back out. So they threw the dirt back on her again, again and again and again. That arm came up. They could not keep her in the grave. Finally, they called her mother back. When the arm came up out of the grave, the mother struck her with a rod. And then she stayed, rested in peace in that grave, having learned to behave. That one's pretty gross. What story is that? It's called The Willful Child. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> then there's the juniper tree. Have you ever heard of the juniper tree, Jeff? I don't think so. I've heard of Jennifer Juniper by uh, Donovan. Oh, this is the juniper tree. There was a man, and he had a wife who was lovely, and they had a daughter. He was a wealthy man, as sometimes happens in these tales. The wife died, and he remarried. He remarried a woman who already had a daughter from her first marriage. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, okay, we'll make it a daughter. It was a son in the original story. The, the first the man had a son, and then his wife died. He remarried, and his second wife had a daughter. She did not want that son to inherit. She wanted her daughter to inherit everything. So she was just terrible to the son, and she did everything for her daughter. Her daughter said, may I have an apple? She said, of course you may have. She said, I've decided you can't have an apple. Put it in that chest there. She goes out and plays, and the, the boy comes in and says, Oh, mother, may I have an apple? She said, Yes, you may have an apple. And she, he said, Well, where is the apple? She said, The apple is in the chest. Open the chest and reach in for the apple. And he opened the chest and he bent over and he reached in for the apple and she slammed the chest closed, snapping his neck. Mm. The, the little girl came in and, and the boy was sitting in a chair. His head had been propped up and the mother said, oh, just take the apple from your brother. The little girl came over and grabbed the apple. His head fell over. He fell to the ground dead. And the mother said, oh, you've killed your brother. 
you have killed your brother. Oh, my goodness, what shall we do? Well, we can't let father know. No, we can't let father know. We've got to get rid of the body. How can we get rid of the body? They'll make him into a stew. It's for and Game so, of Thrones. <laughs> and so they, they cooked him up in a stew, and they fed him to his father. And his father ate the stew and enjoyed it very much. And the little girl, as he ate the stew, he tossed the bones under the, the little girl, gathered the bones up into a silken handkerchief and put them under the juniper tree, the juniper tree where his mother had been buried. Out of the juniper tree flew a black Blackbird flew off. She, just a second so I can look at my notes because I can't remember who she flew off to. She flew off to a goldsmith and she said, I must have a chain. And he said, well, I can't give you a chain for nothing. And she said, well, I'll give you a song. My mother killed me. My sister cooked me. My father ate me, and my bones lay under the juniper tree. And the goldsmith said, that's a pretty good song. Here's your chain. She flew off to the cobbler, and she said, I must have some pretty red shoes. The cobbler said, I can't give you that for nothing. And the bird said, I can give you a song. My mother killed me. My sister stewed me, my father ate me, and my bones lie under the juniper tree. Once again, the blackbird flew away, flew to the mill, and said, I must have the millstone. And the miller said, I can't give you that for nothing. So the bird said, I will sing you a song. My mother killed me, my sister stewed me, my father ate me. And my bones lay under the juniper tree. Miller said, That's a pretty good song, and gave her the millstone. The blackbird flew over the family, down over the neck of the father, dropped the gold chain. He said, Oh, this bird has given me this lovely gold chain. In front of the sister fell the red shoes, and she put them on, and she said, Oh, look at these pretty red shoes the blackbird brought me. And the stepmother said, Well, bird, what have you for me? Have you a gift for me? And the blackbird dropped the millstone upon her and crushed her. Mm. Upon which the bones under the juniper tree rose up and the boy became alive and the father and the sister and the boy lived happily ever after. Hmm. Not sure what the moral of that one is. Maybe there isn't one. <laughs> I don't know if there is one. Don't be mean to your kid. Your don't kill your children. Um, I have a couple of Hans Christian Andersons too. Would you like one or two of those? Sure. Okay. I have the traveling companion. John walked through a churchyard 
late one night, when he came upon two grave robbers. They say they are desecrating the grave of someone who owed him them a lot of money before he died. John takes from his pocket all of the money that he has and pays them off so that they will leave the grave alone. Next day, John bumps into a mysterious new traveling partner and he has many adventures with him. Unfortunately for John, one day they come across a beautiful princess and he falls in love with her. The problem is that the beautiful princess is only beautiful on the outside. She's actually a murderer. She kills her suitors if they do not tell her what she is thinking. Three days in a row. The traveling companion is concerned for his friend John. And he butchers a swan, takes the wings and straps them on, and follows her as she flies for the next three nights to the home of an eagle magician. Along the way, the traveling companion beats her back as she flies with a birch rod until it bleeds. Because of this, she bleeds out what she is thinking, and this enables the stranger to tell John what the princess has been told to think about by the magician. John passes the test after he has cut the evil magician's head off. The stranger reveals himself as the ghost of the corpse whose grave was being desecrated. He had been looking after John as a thank you, but now he disappears. He's ready, and John is ready to live happily ever after with the princess, who apparently is no longer a psycho murderer. Oh, that's good. There's a happy ending there. I mean, aside from all the murders under her, I guess, dress or whatever, on her name. Well, had to get the other other suitors out of the way so John could marry her. The Wicked Prince. The Wicked Prince was power hungry. He waged war on all the other kingdoms in the land. His armies butchered everyone in their way and even hunted down the women and children to kill. When he conquered all the kingdoms on earth, he decided he would conquer heaven too. He built a great ship to sail up to the heavens and take over. On the way to the heavens, an angel appeared and sent him crashing back to the earth. The prince did not learn his lesson. He spent years again building up a great fleet of ships to attack and conquer heaven. Before they can get off, though, a single swarm of gnats comes down to heaven to attack them. A gnat flies into the prince's eardrum and stings him there. The poison makes the prince go mad, and he strips naked before dancing in front of his troops. In the end, a single gnat manages to beat the wicked prince. Well, that's a very Old Testament kind of a story right there. 
<laughs> well, you know, and then there's all the stories that people told as teenagers. And I was actually curious, since you're from a different part of the country, if you had different stories. Um, I We had the... Some of those stories seem definitely... Uh, Want to create a breakthrough gene therapy or life-saving vaccine? Pioneer Aerospace Excellence? Take your hospitality tech brand international? Montgomery County, Maryland is where you can do all that and more. Use our ideal location next to D.C. Diverse world-class talent and our vast business resources to be the next company to make your mark and transform the world. Visit bnext.thinkmoco.com. That's bnext.thinkmoco.com to learn how we can help you create something remarkable. Montgomery County, Maryland is where businesses go to be next. Home to a highly skilled, diverse workforce, a thriving business community, competitive incentives, and more. MoCo will help transform your business. Visit bnext.thinkmoco.com to see how we can help you be next. Aimed to teach girls not to go out and park on dark roads with boys. Uh, there, there was the man with the hook hand, which no, we, we everybody have, knows, I think. We have this, and then yeah. there's the one... The one where the boyfriend is hung above the car with right. the fingernails. Scratch, scratch, scratch. Yep. Scratch, scratch, scratch. So in your part of the country, were there any different stories like that? I have to be honest, I don't remember that many, but the the ones that you just named, the hook hand, the scratch, 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 definitely heard that. And this this is Northeast kids for the most part in camp in Maine. Um, and usually around, usually around a fire, usually on an island in the middle of a lake, in the middle of what's already sort of nowhere, or at least was then, like Bangor, Winthrop, Maine, which, by the way, is where Stephen King is from. Um, so, you know, so no, it sounds like it sounds like it was a lot of the same stuff that just, you know, probably came over the radio on like coast to coast and, you know, Art Bell, you know in the, the Dr. Demento show where, which I think it's, uh, it's legacy was giving us a uh, weird Al Yankovic, but, but there were ghost stories, uh, AM well, radio. I, I'm a little older than you. And so I was in the late seventies, early eighties. There was a big, uh, flurry of there are Satan worshipers out there. I, I, I'm aware of the of the sa- the satanic panics, and that goes back to the fifties. But, um, but and, and the little town that I lived in, there was a supposed hill out on some farmer's land that if you went out there at night, you would see them. And there had been cows that had been mutilated, and I, I never heard this from anybody who really knew anybody who had experienced it. It was always, you know, 25th hand, but, uh, that there was a good bit of that during that time period. And of course, later you had the, uh, daycare situations, but that was quite, quite a bit later, but people are always looking for a reason to be afraid of someone. Indeed. And, and with 24 hour news, there's always an easy way to find one. Um, I think that we need to tell the people where you're from, because if someone says my husband's from Italian-American descent, they're going to think that you're from New York. But if they're hearing your voice, they know you're obviously not from New York or Philly and New Jersey or, you know, Boston and then you're Chicago. No, I, I, I'm from Oklahoma. My husband is from New York and grew up in the Bronx. <laughs> 
Uh, of course, forget about it. But yeah, that that's so I, I think that the that sort of Great Plain sort of mid America accent, not quite southern, not quite Midwest, not quite, you know, Minnesota. It's perfect for, you know, it's 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 sort of defined. It's 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 actually the perfect accent for a ghost story because it really can be anywhere. Um, but yeah, it sounds like unfortunately a lot of our ghost stories were the same or derivative of one another. I can't help but skip down to Neil Gaiman because I read a bunch of Neil Gaiman books and I like Neil Gaiman. I like Neil Gaiman quite a bit. I liked a lot of his, um, uh, what's the word? Collaborations with Terry Pratchard and, and with Neil Stevenson and, and, and some others. I, don't think I'm familiar with Coraline and I feel like I read the graveyard book, but I have no memory of it. And I, and I know that I think that Neil Gaiman is British. though I'm not sure. Um, and I know I said American, but I, I, I'm a fan of Gaiman. I know a lot of people are as well. So I want to skip down to him um, because I think that a lot of people read Neil Gaiman right now. I actually got to hear Neil Gaiman speak in Tulsa, Oklahoma, yeah. and he is British. He has a marvelous accent. I could listen to him all day long, whether or not he was saying anything of interest. He just wonderful voice and accent. Well, well, a little side note uh, then. He does narrate his own book on Norse mythology. It is without a strong accent, but it is. he takes the Norse Edda and puts it into English that we can understand today. And he does a brilliant job with it. It's on Audible. Um, I'm not sponsored by Audible. I wish I was, but I'm not. But I, I recommend it. I certainly recommend if you are interested in Norse mythology, but don't want to read all that stuff in the these and vows and try to figure out what old, old Norse translate into old English, translate into new Englishes or middle English. Um, just listen to him do it. He does a magnificent job. Sorry for my little footnote there. I'm not as familiar with Coraline as I might be, but I think that the Graveyard book may be a perfectly constructed book. It is so good. And it starts out with a child who wanders, and this child has gotten out of his crib, wanders down the steps and out into the street. You think something bad's going to happen because he's gone out into the street. But in fact, the man Jack enters the house intent on killing the entire family. And he kills the mother. He kills the father. He kills the sibling. But when he gets up to the attic room where the crib is, the crib is empty. And he has been unable to kill the entire family. You don't know at the beginning why it is he thinks he needs to kill the entire family. The child wanders down the hill and through the rails of the fence into the graveyard. And the man Jack is trying to track him down. He apparently has some supernatural or animalistic powers because he can smell the child and so he's trying to track the child down the child is in a graveyard and the ghosts won't let mad jack in the ghosts protect the child and they actually adopt the child and he has a wonderful childhood 
with the ghosts from all of the different eras. He has ghosts from 300 years ago, ghosts from 100 years ago. He has playmates, friends. He has friends who died in the flu epidemic. He has that he plays hopscotch with. He's, he has a wonderful time. The only thing is that none of his friends ever age. And since he is human, he does grow up and, and uh, has to change out his friends. But he starts to become curious and he wants to leave. There is a vampire who has been assigned to take care of him because he can leave the, the graveyard. The ghosts cannot leave the graveyard, so they can't bring in food. They can't bring the boy the things that he needs. And so he goes out and he comes back and he goes out and he comes back. And they know that the older he gets, the more danger there is that the man Jack will try to come after him. And the boy wants to, he wants to leave the graveyard. He's lived there all his life, but surely there's something more interesting out there. So he talks his way into going to school where he doesn't fit in at all. Because when people talk about their families, and he's very bright, but he doesn't fit in. And he's also been told, okay, we'll let you go to school, but you have to have, no one can notice you. And in fact, it's strange because when he's there, the teachers forget he's there. It's sometimes people see him and sometimes people don't. Well, there's a bully. And the bully is picking on a child. Child whose name is Nobody, Nobody Jones. Nobody can't take it that this kid's being bullied. So he stands up for him and gets attention. And then people can see him. Well, this is a bad thing because word of it gets back to the man, Jack. Under the cemetery, there's one place that they tell him he cannot go. That's where the old ones are. And the old ones are from before any of the ghosts. They don't know what's down there, but they know it's bad. So don't go down there. He meets a little girl whose mother has brought her to play in the cemetery because it's in London and it's a nice green place and she can jump rope and run around and play there. And it's also become a park this cemetery has. And so he, he makes friends with her and he takes her and shows her this cave that he's been told never to go to. And they crawl down into it at the bottom of the cave. There's a huge snake that wraps around them and says, are you my master? You must stay here my master and I shall save you here forever. Well, the vampire shows up and manages to get them out of it. But the boy never forgets there was also, there's some treasure there. And there are things that don't look like much, but they're ancient things that have been there forever. A buckle, a cup. So eventually, and Jack, tracks him down by following the little girl and he finds 
was nobody. Ghosts can't save you from that, Jack. Even the vampire can't save you from that, Jack. Useless vampire. It's vampire. Who has been at least father figure. He's not he's not a bad vampire. He's a good vampire. You're breaking my heart he, now. What? You're breaking my heart now. And so nobody has to figure out what to do. He's thirteen years old and he's gonna have to be a man now. The snake, the snake. He thinks, he thinks, and so he tells Man Jack, well, yes, you can have me, but I know something even better. There's a treasure that you would not believe. Don't you want the treasure? And of course Man Jack wants the treasure. So they go into the hollowed out tomb. And then they move the stone aside. They crawl down the tunnel deeper and deeper. They get to the bottom. The snake speaks and says, Who comes to visit me? Have you come, master? The boy says, This is a being that is looking for a master. If you are the master, you will control everything. And Jack, how do I become the master? How do I become the master? Take the treasure. The man Jack reaches out and takes the treasure and yells, I am your master. And the snake wraps itself tighter and tighter and tighter and hisses. Master, I will keep you here forever. And nobody climbs back up out of the cavern into the graveyard, having successfully defeated the man Jack. He is now safe to go into the outer world, and he has a weepy goodbye with the ghosts who have taken care of him forever. Then he steps through the gate into the real world. It's a great story. The end. I see on this list Matilda, and I feel like Matilda was made into a horror movie. Is it? Is this book by Roald Dahl? The the the. It's by Roald Dahl, and Roald Dahl uh, also wrote Charlie and the Ch- Chocolate Factory, James and the Giant Peach. Ah. Um, he's just creepy as hell if you really read the books. The the <laughs> the movies are not quite so creepy, but even in even in the movie Matilda, the girl has there's the horror of the horrible headmistress, and then the powers that are able to uh, overcome her, which I mean has a little bit of a carry. Yes. Uh, feel to it that uh, you, the, the bullied child is able to uh, overcome by uh, use of the supernatural power so little yeah. of that and but Roldal is a lot darker if you read him than he is if you watch the movies 
Yeah, the I, I personally thought I personally thought Johnny Depp was pretty creepy as Charlie. That's what I was just uh, that's what I was just gonna say. The the uh, Tim Burton version, which was much closer than the uh, Gene Wilder one, and even that one was if you watch it as an adult, it's it's weird as shit. <laughs> Yeah, it, it makes you think there were some hallucinogens going on. Um, yeah, but there, there, there are Puff the Magic Dragon and Land of the Lost hallucinogens, and there's these hallucinogens. Uh, I, I doubt it's the hallucinogens; it's the it's the brain experiencing them. Um, but yeah, probably enough said on on that. Um, okay, so now we get to a, a bunch of uh, authors who I'm not familiar with at all, but I, you want to skip over Greek and Assyrians. I'm okay with Greek because I think that it's sort of obvious. I think the, the Grimm brothers and Hans Christian Andersen sort of borrowed thematically greatly from Greeks, you know, kill, kill, killing, you know, fratricide, uh, infanticide, uh, marrying your mother, the, the, you know, the, monsters tearing your eyes out. We're all related and we all kill each other constantly, intergenerationally. And I think it ties into <laughs> the Old Testament as well. But you have the Assyrians there. And I don't know anything that the Assyrians wrote. So I, I can't very well skip the Assyrians. I mean, anything, all I know about the Assyrians, well, that's not entirely true, but mostly what I know about the Assyrians is that they were like the meanest of the meanest. They were like the Mongols before the Mongols, the Huns before the Huns. Like they were the scourge of the ancient world. They, 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 when they were in power, they made the, the, the Hittites, the Parthians, the Israelites, the Canaanites, the Egyptians. Everybody was afraid of the Assyrians when they were in power. Yeah, they, they were pretty bad. And the, the most famous thing from the Assyrians is the Epic of Gilgamesh. And Gilgamesh was this king, and he was he was pretty mean. And he he goes off to battle this uh, monster named Humbaba to get a treasure, which is kind of like the dragons and, and all of that from King Arthur. So I think that they bother borrowed a real heavily from that but he also makes friends with this monster and they have all kinds of uh, adventures which are kind of in the the nature of Leela and the Swan where they're just doing kind of horrible things to uh, and I just think it was important just because I think that's where a lot of it must have started. One of the earliest monster type things. And they were also monstrous and they, they tore heads off of people. They were just really pr pretty grim. And they also, and this kind of ties in with the later thing about, the Salem witches, that if something bad happened to you, it must be because there was some supernatural reason. They believed in creatures that were kind of ghost-like, but not quite ghosts, that were called galim. And the galim were, after a person died, it was like the impression of the person without their body. And for most of them, they went on off to whatever happy place you go to after you're after you die, but a few of them hung around 
and would cause misery. And one of the things that they did was if you got ill for any reason, it was because the Galim were messing with you. So I just, I thought it was interesting primarily because it, it foreshadows so much of what we see later, uh, the, fighting for treasure the and the the ghost the galim they're they're both ghosts but they've also got the i'm gonna put a curse on you and make you get ill because you get to be alive and i don't well you know let's not forget that when whoever wrote the epic of gilgamesh wrote the epic of gilgamesh which i understand to be sumerian you're calling assyrian there's probably not much difference between the two and it's probably a lot of overlap um they didn't think that they were ancient. <laughs> they were cutting edge. They were modern. So they were calling upon whatever, you know, came before them and, you know, thousands of years of, you know, stories and oral history and ancestor worship and animism, um, you know, and, and, and they just carved it into tablets that survive. We don't know it's the first work. We think it is. Um, or at least it's the older surviving that that's acknowledged. I, I know there's all sorts of fun conspiracy theories about what was in the Library of Alexandria and what the Vatican has in its archives and, you know, what's underneath this secret tunnel and whatever. And I hope it's all true. Um, but until then, I don't know that there's anything older than the Epic of Gilgamesh. All right. All right. So enough about the Epic of Gilgamesh because I babble on about that a lot. And, and uh, my favorite part of that is actually more towards the beginning when uh, Gilgamesh, who's the meanest, worst king ever, but he's super powerful. He's like mean Hercules. Um, he's like drunk Hercules, basically. And then he meets Sasquatch, who has, doesn't want to have anything to do with people, Enkidu. And they, but Enkidu's like, fine, I'll fight him. And you know, they're like, you were created to fight him. Okay, okay. He's mean to animals too. I'll, I'll take care of it. He's, he's, uh, he's terrible with nature, like the trees in the, uh, the second Lord of the Rings movie. Well, you know the story much better than I do. So. Um, yeah. So uh, and, and so him and Enkidu have an epic battle. Gilgamesh beats up en Enkidu, but it was it was his closest thing to a to a tie that he's ever had. And they're both exhausting. It's like, hey, you're a great fighter. Let's become best friends. And Enkidu's like, okay. And then they start having their adventures. It's uh, it's it's actually quite lovely. Um, <laughs> which maybe I, I I have a very odd brother. Um, he wouldn't mind me saying that. He's an author also. And he wrote a novel that is the story of this guy in modern-day New Mexico who somehow, through a computer, gets a portal and his best friend becomes Gilgamesh. Oh, okay. All right. And so it, it, it's pretty strange. Ah, Just giving him marriage advice well, or life advice, which is... Not a real good idea. Send send your brother my way. I mean, you know, the Garden of Doom. We're, we're, we're you know that that sounds like it's well within our jurisdiction. Um, you also <laughs> referred me to someone named Ginny Meyer Sane, who made her her way onto uh, your outline. Uh, I did, by the way, I did finally send her an email. No response yet, but it was like two hours ago, um, <laughs> and it's a Sunday. So, um, and I didn't realize she was such a big shot. So, uh, hopefully, I'll hear from her. But. Uh, yeah, uh, you categorize this under sort of like young adult love horror, which a lot of, you know, a lot of horror is tied in with love or some type of obsession. Yeah, it's, it's not really a love story. It's just, yeah, I, what I meant was the young adult audience loves horror. I, oh. that, that was, that, that was a bad, uh, uh, abbreviation on my part. Yeah, Jenny, um, 
is actually on the New York Times bestseller list right now. Mm. She uh, wrote this book. It's very atmospheric. It's deep in secret lies. There is a town in Louisiana on the bayou that is billed as the most haunted town in America or the most psychic town in America, excuse me. And everybody that lives there has some sort of psychic powers. Well, some people those can pieces. Some people can read minds. Some people can see the future. And there's tons of overlap people, between psychic and ghost. So and spirits or the Akashic record or whatever you want. So they're there these things often exist side by side if and possibly are identical. Uh, it, and, and there's like one person in town who doesn't have any powers. And that's because she's really not from town. She wasn't born there. She goes to visit her relative there every summer. But she has all these friends there. And, but she lives out in the normal world. And she comes back and her best friend since childhood has disappeared. And so there's a whole mystery about who caused the friend to disappear, which when you have people who can start fires by looking at things and people who can read minds so they know what you're thinking and maybe they know that you're honing in on them as the possible suspect. It's, I don't, it's, it's suspenseful and it has the psychic element. I don't know. It's not, there's not a ghost story to it, but there is eventually you find out that there was something that happened many years ago that the whole town has kind of purposefully hidden, not talked about. And that ties into why the girl recently died and it, it's it's worth a read. She's got a new one out too, and I have not uh, read it. She's going to have at least four more come out, I believe, because she had a three book contract and then got a second three book contract with Scholastic. So uh, she's well. I bet it's either Dark and Shallow Lies or Secrets So Deep. Oh, and you know what? I kind of screwed up the title because I'm not looking at any notes. Uh, Dark and Shallow Lies was the first one okay. that I just described. Yeah. Secret So Deep is the, new the one. next one, which is going to have something to do with the theater. And I know that because I'm cheating because I still have the website up from when I sent the, the note earlier today. So <laughs> I didn't leave it up on yeah, purpose. Yeah. but she's, uh, she's, she's had quite the career and she does, I, I, I don't know, she's really busy because she does look chimings, but she does do Skype things or uh, Zoom book talks all the time. Well, so you, you know, you know what, we're going to find out how big a deal you are, because if I get a response, it's because I'm a referral from you. Otherwise, I'm just going to be one of a million emails that, that's ignored. So we're, we're, this, is a, this is a test. So we'll see. She, she just moved to Florida because she didn't like Oklahoma, and she is currently living in Orlando, but well, let's not give away let's not give away people's uh, information without without them saying so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's all over the web. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. All right. 
So, we're going to skip ahead a little bit. As you noted, the Castle of Otranto, credited with being the first in the genre, which is very interesting because I've never heard of the Castle of Otranto. You know, I hadn't really until I started kind of researching for you, and I, I have not read it. So I will say that I have not read it. But it, it's a, uh, someone inherits a huge manor, and they move into it, and the, the spirits that live in the manor don't want them there. And so there's a battle between the new inhabitants and the spirits that have been there forever. I don't want you in my house. So uh, you, you skipped over one that I really would like to talk about a little bit, okay. which is uh, Daughters of Eve. That's on your list, right? Um, I don't think so, but yeah. By, by Oh, yes, it is there. I'm sorry. It's a, it's the third in the list. Lowry. Okay. This, this is creepy in an entirely different way. It's very psychological. Um, and Lois Lowry has written a bunch of, She's probably dead now because she was really old, but she wrote a bunch of really creepy kind of middle grade young adult books. But this one is, it's from the 70s, so it's dated. But if you want to understand how people get turned into terrorists, this is the book to read because a teacher comes in and starts telling these girls that they're being mistreated. And... You know, that's, I'm all like, yes, stand up for yourself. I'm all with you. And then they start doing more and more destructive and violent things. And it turns out at the end that she has been in a mental institution and she's cray cray. But, uh, but the whole thing of how it slowly, bring in with, yeah, they are treating me bad. Well, I can stand up. Oh, they, they picked the boys' science project over mine. I think I'll destroy the science lab. It's, it's so incremental. And when I read it, you know, of course, for the last 20 years, we've been in the whole, uh, we're all afraid of terrorist things. And you wonder, how do these people online get turned? And I thought, Oh, that's how. So I, I just wanted to mention that one just because it's it's an in, incredibly interesting psychological study of that. But you were skipping down to somebody else, I think. Oh, well, you, we covered the House of Entranto or the Castle of Entranto, which uh, sounds like it was the first formal ghost story, though. Uh, I mean, I know that uh, Shakespeare wrote about some ghosts. I, I, no, it, it, not the first formal ghost ghost story the first it was considered the first gothic novel wow. so gothic's a little bit different gothic tends to be the shining is considered gothic because they tend to be you're in some isolated place and montgomery county maryland is where businesses go to be next home to a highly skilled diverse workforce a thriving business community competitive incentives and more moco will help transform your business visit bnext.thinkmoco.com to see how we can help you be next the reasons to treat yourself to a frozen drink from Mickey D's go on and on and on. It's more than a drink. 
It's a Mickey D's drink. Your new flavor craze is here. From sweet and fruity frozen Fanta Wild Cherry, to the classic cool of a frozen Coca-Cola, to the tasty and tart frozen Fanta Blue Raspberry. Get any size for $1.59. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. There are these things that occur that make you believe that there are spirits there. So it... In space, nobody can hear you scream. You're alone. You're isolated. It's dark. It was a dark and stormy night, and you know, the, and the sun doesn't necessarily ever rise, kind of thing. Right. And Jane Eyre is another one with the. Uh, there, there's the crazy wife in the attic, but you don't know it's a crazy wife in the attic. You just know that you're hearing clunking and creeping and things, and uh, and you're isolated. Rebecca is another one where she's in this house that's at the edge of nowhere. And all of those have that, the isolation's a big part of the Gothic. Indeed. I have to be honest, I don't think I've ever read a Jane Eyre book. Um, Or I never read Jane Eyre. Um, I know I- Jane Eyre is the book. Right, it's it's Bronte that wrote it. I never read a Jane Austen book either. I, and I always get the character Jane Eyre mixed up with the author Jane Austen because that's how that's how well, plebeian I am. Uh, Jane Eyre was one of those books that as a youngster, we had a copy in the house that had come from like some old relative of my mother's. So it was a really old copy and had the black pen and ink illustrations mm-hmm. in it. I must have read that book at least five times. I loved that book. And it was it's very creepy. It's also uh, kind of empowering for girls because Jane Eyre is a woman who strikes out on her own. She's an orphan. She gets an education, goes off and becomes a governess. When things don't work out with uh, Rochester, She's like, I'm out of here. I can find something else to do. So she she's a fairly strong character in addition to it being creepy. So it, it's great. You should read it yeah. or listen to it. Maybe one day. We'll see. I got a, I have a long list of things. I tell you, I, I, I'm not sure as, as to where I grew up was different, but it seems to me that women were very aware of their power <laughs> where, where I grew up uh, in and around. And I, you know, and I consider myself fortunate for that, I, I suppose. Um, all right. So let's go to Frankenstein. I think everyone knows that Frankenstein is sort of considered the first of the modern era of horror and sort of when things were less God versus man versus man trying to be God, man versus technology, though I would argue that Enkidu and Gilgamesh was a little man versus technology. We just we just don't recognize that as technology. The Tower of Babel was, you know, something other against technology. But anyway, I, I, I digress again. But Frankenstein is, you know, is, you know, sort of like, you know, the island of Dr. Moreau, you know, uh, Jekyll and Hyde, you know, even though they take different approaches. So many things are just a version of Frankenstein. Christine, you know, (laughs) everything that Dean Koontz wrote, (laughs) yeah, everything that Michael Crichton has wrote is is basically a version of Frankenstein. Um, 
of sorts. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree with that. And it's, it is the whole thing about man against technology. Uh, Mary Shelley was pretty ahead of her time to come up with it when she did. And I'm sure you know the story about how they were all at the house and challenged one another to write down a ghost story or a scary story. And, yeah, and her husband was an author and her father was a disciple or may not a disciple, an acolyte, a believer in Galvini, which is where you get galvanized, who was using electricity to, you know, I guess basically for physical therapy and to, you know, tr- treat disease. And obviously she was very influenced by that as well. So her story is fascinating. And Bram uh, Stoker was there that weekend too. Oh, of course he was. <laughs> that week, I guess it was it was longer than a weekend, but yeah, he, he was. And so Dracula also came out of that group of people who were hanging out, drinking too much, probably doing other things and Somebody said, hey, let's see if we can just scare each other to death. <laughs> Which, if, I mean, everyone knows Jekyll and Hyde, but I'm not sure many people read it or listened to it. That's sort of what's, I mean, it's not a monster tale at all. I mean, most of it is a bunch of rich, you know, ne'er-do-wells in a parlor in a living room waiting for this other guy to show up and wondering where he is. And then he comes and he tells his story and they're like, huh? <laughs> well, and uh, uh, another one that is like that is uh, the portrait of Dorian Gray, oh, yeah. where it's really just him misbehaving terribly. Uh, then there's the bit with the the portrait, but it, he wasn't a nice person. Um, but the portrait was sort of like his power, like the. Uh, those wrestling fans out there, like the Undertaker's urn, it basically made him un- invulnerable <laughs> of, of sorts. All right, let's go, let's go back to Frankenstein. I don't want to hijack your portion of the show. I know it's my show, but stop no, that. No, I mean that's that's you said pretty much what I would say about Frankenstein is no. the whole thing about technology and who's the monster. Oh, it's, yeah. it's one of the one of the ones where you really have to think about who the monster is. And, no, you don't. Doctor Frankenstein and was the monster. The human being, and you're so right about the Michael Crichton. Um, there's one, and I don't, I can't remember the title of it right now. But there's one where, on an island, the there are breeding bonobos, Congo, and putting human DNA in them in order to make organs to harvest. Right. And the bonobos are just so friendly and nice until they get the human DNA in them, and then they start killing each other. Yeah. So definitely, Planet of the Apes now. Yeah, screwing with technology. And by the way, we have people now who are still talking about maybe we should make this. We've got some dinosaur DNA. Wouldn't it be cool to make one? And I'm thinking, didn't you watch the movie? They're doing it. They're they're creating. They're trying to uh, put mastodon DNA with a variant of Indian elephant to repopulate uh, the steppe. Which, by the way, because of climate climate change, and I'm not gonna say whether it's man or natural or whatever. I'm not really sure what the difference is. Really, if it's happening, it's happening. Anyway, that's another digression. But microbes from 
tens of thousands to millions of years are thawing out and nobody that I know of is up there trying to figure out what diseases are there from millions of years ago that we don't have any immunity to because little known fact that was little known to me, maybe it's maybe it was just little known to me, is that most of the reasons that Europeans uh, and and some others were are less susceptible to many diseases is because uh, you know probably also Asians and 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 Africa as well because of proximity and domestication of animals and that is why the uh, the Americas were so uh, the people in the Americas were so susceptible to disease because they didn't domesticate animals or nearly as many animals and you know basically like you know, mad cow disease, things jumped, you know, they, they, and there was no, there was no immunities. Um, so what the hell is in the, in these things? But yeah, there's also they're putting DNA into mice. They're uh, harvesting organs from pigs. We've been doing that for years, but trying to modify w- with the CRISPR. And, you know, I, I'm sure it's all lovely in, until, you know, you get a giant where, uh, uh, what's, which was scary when the wild boar or the warthog? They're probably both scary. We'll, we'll go with the aware warthog because there's some anomalopoeia there. Um, you know, and uh, they take over the world. They'll be the planet of the warthogs. Let, let's have us a giant javelina. <laughs> exactly right. Um, so, yeah, uh, Dracula. <laughs> uh, you know, Dracula has been. To be honest, I found the book itself to be a bit boring. <gasps> there's, it's, it's, there's so much of the atmospherics that I wanted more to happen. So an abridged version would work better for me. But I want to think is it's so interesting about uh, Dracula is all the variations on it, and you look at Nosferatu. I'm not saying that Nosferatu. Is that right? Yeah, I think it, the second way is right, but it doesn't matter. I mean, Nosferatu. I mean, that that one is scary. And then you get to, oh, we're going to be elegant, and there's going to be this more sexual part of it. And then you get to Twilight, for God's sake. And Twilight, um, I, I got a lot of fans. I, I didn't make it through the trilogy. I threw the first book. I, I never throw books, but I literally threw that one across the room because I just I just couldn't. It was not well written or logical. It, you know, things have to have. I saw one of your reviews where you said that the that the series didn't have any logic. Things have to have some internal logic. Right. I, I can accept a lot of things. I love superheroes. I love the supernatural. I love myths. I, I can totally, someone has the power of flight and invulnerability. They've got it. Give me some story as to why they have it. I will, I will play along with you, but, you know, but, uh, you know, if, if there's no, you know, I watch pro, I've been watching pro wrestling for 45 years or so now. I mean, you know, obviously I, I'm not that discerning. I, I mean, I can suspend my disbelief, but if something makes no sense internally, I'm, you know, I'm out. I can take a, I can take a bit of it. Like I just watched the movie Nope, which I don't think is off topic because it's sort of horror and there's actually a little debate as to whether it's horror or sci-fi and that's not important. And I like the movie. 
internally, because it was so smart, there were things that weren't so smart in it that sort of impeaches itself. But I still thought it was a really clever movie. And then I recommend it. And I would call it horror. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that's correct. I, I need internal logic. And I never read Twilight. I never saw any of the movies. So you don't need no, to sell me on, on not buying it. Well, it, it lacks internal logic because if you stay the same age forever, you don't go to high school so you can stay in the same place. Yeah. And if, if high school is miserable for you, you don't keep going to high school forever. Right. Even if, even if you've mastered it so that you have the greatest high school experience everywhere because you're a vampire, and then all of a sudden your parents have to be, you know, uh, transferred to the embassy in, in you know, Bucharest or something uh, so that you can, you know, make your cover story. And, and then you go to high school and you're at the weird table because you, because you look funny because your skin's too white. Um, no, I'm just... I get that all the time. You know, that that's mean, the whole premise of how, oh, well. My, my, my skin tone is builder neutral one. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I actually have a daughter who for uh, cosmetics, she has to blend things with pure white because she's so pale. Yeah. And people like, uh, yeah, <laughs> people who, I, I mean, I do a lot of podcasts, but a lot of them, a lot of them you know, are visual and sometimes even then some of them are on tv and you know but you know usually it's a night so people can't tell or whatever but when i talk to people who haven't talked to me in the beginning like the back the wall behind me is builder neutral one or you know taupe whatever you want to call bone and it if it's particularly bright in this room i i mean if i didn't have hair (laughs) and there wasn't shadow i'd I'd probably disappear into the anyway nobody cares about any of that so i I, i've got a so yeah so okay the turn of the screw i never thought of as a horror movie so tell me about that the legend of sleepy hollow okay little sign up i was going to watch it last night uh to watch rewatch the movie and because it's halloween they're charging three bucks uh, you know, or four bucks to watch it i'm like no movie from 98 and not paying for uh, i'll wait another week until it's free again but i did watch a bunch of other horror movies but so i'm a little bit Rusty on my Legend of Sleepy Hollow. I was hoping to be right on board there, at least with the Tim Burton version. So, but yeah, let's 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 do uh, Turn of the Screw, Legend of Sleepy Hollow, and I don't think you finished your thoughts on Dorian Gray in whatever order you like. Okay. Well, the Turn of the Screw is interesting because it has the same thing that you were talking about with Jekyll and Hyde. It starts off: we were sitting around the fire and. So-and-so said he would tell us a story. We had to wait two or three days because he had to send away to have the story sent to him. Well, the story, internal story, I don't know why they have all that first part there because none of that means anything. But the, the actual story is that there is a woman who is a governess. She accepts a job. This man wants her to care for his niece and during school holidays, his nephew. His one condition is, I never want to hear from you about them. I will pay you, just go handle it. I don't want to have to do anything. So not the greatest of uncles. She arrives at the house. She's very nervous about it. Oh, 
the, the little girl's just delightful, just wonderful. And the housekeeper says, oh, well, yes, she, she's always been quite nice now. Her brother, I don't know about him. And the mail comes. No, the boy arrives from school for the holiday carrying a letter to his uncle that has been forwarded to the governess because the uncle unopened. The uncle doesn't want to know anything about his schooling. And it says that he can't come back. The boy cannot come back. But she doesn't know why. He's done something that is a bad something, and she doesn't know why. She's out for a walk on the grounds one day, and she sees a man on top of the tower. Of course it has tower. I mean, it has to be a huge manor with towers and cellars and things. Naturally. And there's a man on the tower, and he looks at her. They exchange looks, and she thinks, I wonder who he is. The house is so big as someone living here that we don't know about. I'm really concerned about it. So she confides in the housekeeper, and the housekeeper has her describe him, and she says, describing the tutor who used to be here. Well, what happened to him? He went away. Oh, he went away. Well, why would he be back? I don't know, because he died. Mm-hmm. So she's seeing this dead tutor. And the little girl and the little boy are just delightful, and, and she thinks, well, they're such nice children. But then she becomes suspicious because it seems as if even though there's nothing that they do that's improper, they're looking at each other as if they have a secret and as if they know that she's frightened and they know why she's frightened. She sees the tutor again and she notices that the little girl is looking straight at him. And seems to be completely unfrightened. And she says, what do you see? And she says, I see nothing. Why do you see something? Are you all right? I'm so concerned for you, miss. Goes along a little while, and she sees a woman. She describes the woman to the housekeeper, and the housekeeper says, oh, that's the governess who was here before. <laughs> well, now she's getting kind of suspicious because they seem to go through the governesses pretty governesses and tutors pretty quickly. And not only that, well, what happened to the governess? She went away. Well, why would she come back? I don't know, because she died. So she continues to see these, the ghosts, the, the tutor, comes and looks in the window at her and by talking with the governess she decides he's after the boy he's here to steal his soul the telephone call it's from inside the house i have to protect the boy so it things ratchet up and ratchet up and she has the girl sent away and the end of the story is that she's grabbing the boy to protect him from the 
tutor who is entering the room and coming closer and closer and closer and she's grasping the boy tighter and tighter and tighter until she realizes he's dead. Now, how did you not think that was a ghost story? <laughs> uh, probably the context of when I had to read it was probably high school and I probably was thinking about everything except what I was supposed to be focusing on. Um, so we'll just, we'll, we'll go with that. All right. Washington Irving's The Legend of Sleepy Hollow might be the quintessential American horror story. Um, when you think American ghost stories, this might well be the first one that pops into your head. It's, it is for me. So let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Okay. I don't know that I remember it that well. I, I listed it there because it was <laughs> such a an American story, but, uh, what's the ghost want? Like, like what's, what's, what's this demons? What's this? Do? I mean, I remember the flying Dutchman and sleeping, sleeping Hollow for whatever reason, those two things played a, a maybe a oversized disproportionate amount in my young psyche, almost the way like when I was growing up, I thought quicksand would be a much bigger problem than it actually turns out to be because uh, everybody was well, falling in quicksand. I want you to think that because of all of those movies. Well, well Tarzan was but, falling quicksand. Batman was in quicksand. The, the, the Lone Ranger fell in quicksand. Cowboys fell in quicksand. Everyone fell in quicksand. I mean... You know, uh, Land of the Lost, quicksand. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's like uh, yeah, Batman. I, you know, I just, I just thought that the quicksand was going to be a much bigger problem than it turned out to be. So, um, so why did the Legend of Sleepy Hollow, uh, or should we just skip it because you haven't read it in a while? I haven't read it in a while, so I'm, I'm sorry. I, I don't think I can okay. address well, it. Well, what, are, what do you consider the quintessential American? horror story the shining Ooh, that's a good one um should we skip down to this i mean the shining Maybe. is on your list i mean I, I feel like we need to talk about edgar Allan poe before we go straight into stephen well, king well yeah and, and no I, I i and i i took some notes on some poe stories because you don't have to tell the stories of, just uh, just like his if there's some way to encapsulate the spirit of Poe, or if you want to tell yeah, a story, I, tell them. I mean, I think the the pit and the pendulum, as far as doom, he's in this room. It's dark. He can't tell where it is. He counts out the steps, and then he he thinks he saved himself from the pendulum by having rats gnaw off the ropes, and then the walls start closing in. It's just kind of this increasing and increasing and increasing uh claustrophobic claustrophobia and the the cask of amontillado and the reason i like it so much is because the victim's own vanity is what gets him there he he has to be the one to taste it because the other people would not possibly even be able to tell whether it was good sherry and then the the perpetrator says, oh, it's getting damp and you've got a cough. We should turn back. No, no, I must taste it. So it's this whole thing of him really driving himself into the recess where he's chained to the wall and bricked up. To me, that's 
tremendous. And the telltale heart. Does the heart really do anything? What do you think? You think the heart does anything, or you think it's all in his mind? I think it's all in his mind. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's Raskolnikov, the you know, stuck in one place. It's his, it's his own guilt. Sorry, Raskolnikov. For those who don't know, is from Crime and Punishment. Uh, uh, Dostoevsky. Yes. Uh, there, there's another one that's really recent, and I don't. It's a mystery. It's suspenseful. I don't know that it's quite horror. Have you heard of the Seven Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle? I've heard of it, but I don't know what it is. But I was. It's funny because when you were talking. And and then when I jumped to the scream, the you know the, the part of scream that was good, the line, um, I was thinking, well, I mean, this could be you know most all of Agatha Christie's books. And I'm like, well, in a murder mystery, it's the motive. There's always a reason. In a horror movie, it's either something monstrous, supernatural, you know, or there's no reason, which is really almost the scariest. The Michael Myers, you know. Um, well, the the one Agatha Christie that I think is the most like oh story is and then there were not oh yeah because they're getting knocked off one at a time they're on the island they can't get away they they're all suspicious of one another and that one definitely qualifies I mean, Poirot no yeah no, Poirot's I... just figuring it out but and then there were none is definitely ranks in there. Uh, I was going to mention the deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle real quickly because Netflix is apparently uh, optioned it, so we may see it on Netflix, but this guy wakes up, he doesn't know where he is, and he has eight days to solve the mystery to, as, who, as to who killed Evelyn Hardcastle. But the trick about it is he keeps waking up as different people. So he is experiencing all of these things from a different perspective. And it's like a time travel novel. I, I just found it fascinating because you get further into it and it's like, oh, I've been through this before. I'm going to knock on the door now. <laughs> it's just, it's just fun for that reason. It's like and Groundhog Day and Memento with a different spin. It is. And the, and the trick is, there are three people competing to solve the mystery of who killed Evelyn Hardcastle, and you only get to leave if you solve it. So there's a time clock ticking. It's got the the whole thing. So um, where do you want to go from here? Um, we just kind of talked and talked. Oh, we didn't talk about Lovecraft. We didn't, but I have yeah. an entire show on Lovecraft, so I don't mind if that doesn't make it. But yeah, well, okay. now that you mentioned it, we, you can at least tell us a little bit about I'm Lovecraft. I'm not going to talk about it much. I'm not a Lovecraft fan, but you kind of can't talk about horror without mentioning it. Right. And <laughs> and in the show about Lovecraft, we acknowledge his, you know, hideous racism and, you know, all of the, all of these books have terrible things in them. I mean, killing babies, killing your husbands, but, you know, the, something that still exists now maybe, you know, needs a disclaimer rather than, you know, we don't need to talk about Greek stuff. Yeah, don't kill your babies. I mean, we don't need to put out here, but... Yeah, uh, don't be the deal. Right. But with Lovecraft, it, it's because we, you know, live in 2022 and, and these things are still very much 
prevalent. Um, we, we have to acknowledge the, the you know the horrible racism and classism in, in, in embedded in Lovecraft, but we can still appreciate the creativity and the monstrosity of Lovecraft. Well, it, it, the primary reason I find him interesting is because when I heard Neil Gaiman speak, he said that he was a big Lovecraft fan as a child and that he was very inspired by Lovecraft. And so I found that and, interesting. And Lovecraft... I'm more interested in... Go ahead. I'm more interested in him because of who he influenced than I am because of him. Yeah. And, I mean, Lovecraft is very creative, but, I mean, concepts like the old ones and the Titans and, and you know, it's, you know, parallel universes, you know, they, they all exist. They just sort of put them all together and created this world of magic. But, yeah, it influenced a lot of stuff, extremely influential. But, yeah, they're have an entire show of, with Lovecraft with uh, Emery Potter, who uh, is great. Yeah. So you can I, go back. I just thought we should uh, mention him when we're talking about horror because he's a big part of it. Absolutely right. Um, okay. Well, we can listen. I, I don't. I don't know what Woman in White is. Obviously, we talked about Jekyll and Hyde a little. Uh, I don't know if we talked about it enough. But then you you mentioned The Shining as sort of the quintessential American horror story, and I, I, I'm not sure I can disagree. Um, and Stephen King is, you know, certainly the most successful American horror writer uh, in the last 50 years anyway, maybe ever. Um, and then we've got Anne Rice as well. So ah, you, you take it from here. You, you go in whatever order you want about the sort of the modern American horror, which I'm going to give you license anywhere for the last 150 years. <laughs> well, The Woman in White is not American. It's English. And the reason I mentioned it is because I've read it within the last year. Um, it, it is what is called a sensation novel. Okay. And the sensation novels, kind of penny dreadful kind of. Montgomery County, Maryland is where businesses go to be next. Home to a highly skilled, diverse workforce, a thriving business community, competitive incentives, and more. MoCo will help transform your business. Visit bnext.thinkmoco.com to see how we can help you be next. Right now, Amazon is offering some amazing extra perks that come with a job offer. If you start a warehouse job, you can get a $1,000 sign-on bonus. That means you start earning a paycheck right away, plus you get extra cash to use before the holidays. Applying is so easy, you don't even need an interview. It's never been so rewarding to start an hourly job that's close to home. So what are you waiting for? To join the team today, visit Amazon.com slash sign-on bonus. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer. Type of thing where you're going to feel afraid, feel lots of things, and it is not a ghost story, but it involves this woman in white who keeps showing up. There are two women who look alike. At one point, the wrong one gets locked up in the middle hospital, and the right one is out terrorizing people. So it it's an interesting book. It is, frankly, it's one of those English novels that's a little long for my taste. That Fair enough. They, they tend to describe everything in every room and every piece of clothing and uh, I, I could stand for it to move a little quicker but the, it's important because it was one of the first 
sensation novels. So right. and that's, it, that's and the it, reason it's on the list. And it's very much a trope, the, the inconvenient or evil doppelganger. And the, the, the Shining, why is it the quintessential? They're so isolated. Mm-hmm. There's a family. Things are fairly happy at the beginning, but you know the novelist has issues. He's going there because he has to write a book. And he's got this pressure on him. So it's not as happy as it seems like. Oh, we're going to stay in this nice place. And we don't really have to do any work. We'll just hang out through the winter and, you know, toast marshmallows. And then the place or his psyche or both begins to invade the family. And... It becomes creepier and creepier. I, I think the way that he builds the suspense and the ambiance, that, that spooky ambiance, I'm not sure anybody's done it better. It's it's just so strong. And then, of course, you've got the, the tremendous finishing scenes when, when he's hunting his own family. Uh, because he's become completely insane. You tell me one you think does any of that better. It it's it's the individual who's crazy. It's the place that causes the insanity. It's the desire to get away from those that you that depend on you because you can't provide for them. So you're going to become this monster that just gets rid of them so you don't have that responsibility. Maybe other people don't see that in it, but I did. It, it He's oh, yeah. one of the best insane characters I've ever seen. Well, absolutely. And part of the reason that the, the winter they're doing that in keeping isn't just he needs to write a book, but it's, he also needs the money. <laughs> you know, that, 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 that was clear. Um, so, yeah, I definitely saw it. And, and I think it's one of the things that got scarier with time, but, you know, because it's probably weekly that we hear about a parent who kills their entire family and you know something just broke them and it's probably financial i mean i'm sure there were underlying issues as well but you know something financial broke them suburb in tulsa this week i don't know what happened that there's a dead family of eight that they believe it was murder suicide usually is yeah yeah. Well, in Iowa, you're you know well, not exactly your neighbor, but you know not 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 too far as as uh, the airplane flies. Anyway, uh, they they found all the bodies that the, this man was burying his family in his yard. I mean, yeah. so. it's, I mean we 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 laugh, but we laugh nervously because it's a reflex. We don't know what else to. There's no appropriate reaction. There's no appropriate reaction, and well. One of my daughters really got into true crime podcasts for a while. And I asked her why, because I thought, you're a young woman, you live alone. Doesn't this just terrify you? And she said, she'd actually, because she's someone who just researches everything. She said, well, I got to look that up. And it's very common with people of my demographic. And there's a belief that it makes us feel safer because we know what to be looking out for and because it didn't happen to us and we're different from that person. And there's a way 
to distinguish ourselves from whatever. Oh, I would never do that. It's like there's that commercial, I think it's for an insurance company, about let's go hide behind the scary chainsaws. Mm -hmm. It's like we all know there are things that you would yell at them, don't do that. And you, you have this feeling like I would know not to do that. So I'm frightened for them, but I would be safe. And I, I think maybe they're part of that with all of the insanity type things. It's those people are out there. They're scary. Well, it goes back to our conversation about an hour ago with the Charles Manson obsession that we're, we're maybe more, it's really more about us than them. <laughs> we're like, we're all worried about what, like, <laughs> Have we already been seduced by something you know, that we shouldn't be seduced from? Are we already culpable? Or, or you know, how close are we to being them? Um, you know, anyway, and then convincing ourselves that we're not. And, uh, and the whole thing about what is it to, what choices do you make and what is it to choose to be a good person? And the series, The Good Life, or The Good Place, I'm sorry, The Good Place was kind of the opposite of that. How, how do you be an ethical person? Well, you can't. You, you can't do everything right. It's not possible. So it, every choice that you make is... See, but that show made the mistake by trying to lean into the good stuff when it really was supposed to be a dark comedy because they weren't in the good place. They were in the bad place. So all of, they were like Job. All of their efforts were designed not to succeed. Uh, and then when they decided, eh, let's let's keep the funny going, then they lost the they lost the plot. Uh, yeah, I actually uh, I think I watched two or three seasons and then kind of uh, I watched the whole thing because it was on a, a binging service or something. So I was able to just watch watch, watch it all. It took there was some delay between seasons three and seasons four. Whatever um, seasons one and two were much better than the other seasons. Um, yeah, just the world should trust me that somebody should remake it, but as a horror movie, but it can be like Malice because like, like Malice, the first half of the movie is like, oh my God, I've seen this a million times. And then there was the plot twist around midway through the movie. You're like, oh snap, this is a good movie. <laughs> so I, I think that that would be much more interesting, but uh, maybe it's just because that's what you would expect from a guy who has a podcast called Garden of Doom. All right. Tell me about Interview with the Vampire, Anne Rice. Uh, the series has just been remade. Anne Rice has written about nine billion books about it. Uh, I, like everyone else, read it when it was new. I watched the movie. Um, I, th- yeah, I mean, me too. That's pretty much where I am on it. She's really interesting because she she got religion for a while and... Then she said, all those books I wrote were horrible. And then she said, oh, real, really not. I, I I decided I don't like religion. I'm going <laughs> back to my books. Um, it's I mean, That's just a more seductive type of vampire, I think. And uh, it, it's it's Dracula, but, but remade into a, a love machine. something for the modern, I, modern age. I actually thought that the, the the books were not horror really at all. I just thought it was a metaphor for something else. Um, but the horror, the, the only part of it that was horror for me was the turning of the little girl. Um, yeah. That is horrible. That that that's and you know there's a movie called Orphan which basically 
takes that concept. Orphan is not a great movie, but it's not a bad. I mean, we didn't even talk about. Uh, I did. I didn't read the book, but basically, all all movies are based on books. The Omen, which is just pretty awful. <laughs> well, that's it's funny you would mention it because uh, there you go. I thought you were frozen for a second. Because the next thing on the list is The Exorcist, and The Exorcist, Rosemary's Baby, and The Omen to me are like the holy triumvirate of you know, satanic, awesome movies. Um, you know, part of Rosemary's Baby that really freaked me out, which was when she was eating the raw liver because she has to feed this thing that's inside her. And, mm-hmm. and that, that doesn't sound like very much when you say, oh, she ate liver, but it, it was creepy. <laughs> Yeah, the whole thing is creepy. The whole thing, you have this whole community that's supporting and whatever, and, and why are they so nice? So this is heaven. No, it's your own private Idaho. It's your own private hell because you are, you know, I mean, you're the mother of Satan or, or the Antichrist or, you know, I mean, what's the difference really? Um, yeah, <laughs> there have been several books, and I can't think of the name of one right now, where there's actually... A, a child born who is the Antichrist but becomes the Pope, and those are there, there was one where they had like 42 born on the same day or something, That's and then the, it was which one of them would be chosen. And, right, it's the boys from Brazil, uh, but but uh, demonic, yeah, yeah, it, it was done demonic, and I, I can't remember the name of the book, but. It was moderately creepy. I think it was because we'd been we'd seen it so many times that I didn't find it to be yeah. terribly creepy. Um, so, but the, I mean, we've we've kind of gone through the waterfront of. Uh, well, it's funny that you say the waterfront because the next one on your list under monsters is Jaws. Talk about the waterfront, but I mean, I think that's just taking gothic and 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 moving. I mean, Jaws and Alien to me are very similar. That they're they're both someplace where this is not man's element, and there there's not a whole lot of people to help you, and very few people can get there quickly or dexterously. Um, you know, and then but the monster, the horror, it doesn't have the same handicaps. Well, and it, it's Beowulf going to go out and and do battle with this monster um, there's actually a book called seven basic plots i'm a writer so i read strange books it's very thick but one of the things that it does that is really neat is it goes through seven basic plots and then gives examples from movies from books from all kinds of things and jaws and beowulf are both the fighting the monster plot. And an awful lot of horror, that's what it is. It's just that sometimes the monster's a person. Sometimes the monster's paranormal. Sometimes the monster is yourself. And the you mentioned Gene Koontz. He's really got some creepy things about people that are monsters. And then you, I mean, Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that, that's a, that's a yeah. 
Um, it's terrifying, and it's psychologically terrifying. Right. I mean, yeah, he eats people, but the real terror in it is what he does to Clarissa Starling. Yeah, and and, and he's not the villain they're trying to get, but he's he's the, and he becomes an anti. He he becomes the sort of your hero. I mean, you know, he's he's the Tony Soprano of his time. You know, the, the anti-hero. Um, but it's funny that you mentioned Beowulf because I. And and you mentioned Gilgamesh because neither one of those to me are horror stories necessarily. But the, when you frame it that way, it's like Beowulf, which is what like a thousand years old, something like that, eleven hundred, yeah. so, so something like that. I mean, to me, Gilgamesh and Beowulf are pretty much the same guy in the beginning. They're both big heroes. They've got their loyal guys, but they're jerks. They're total jerks. <laughs> They've got meat holes. They drink a lot and tell stories about how great they are. Right, they're, but they're total. They're total asshats. I mean, they're the, you know, sure you want them on your side, but they're the worst. Uh, except when you need them. Uh, and then Grendel is this monster. Nobody can do it. But Beowulf basically takes care of Grendel pretty easily. So Grendel is the monster everyone remembers. But Grendel, yeah, once Beowulf got there, Grendel he rips his hand off and Grendel runs away, limping home to mom. Mom is the monster. She's the scary one. The, the 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 witch. What's her? Is it Scylla? What what what? What's her name? Uh, I think Scylla might be right. I don't remember. I, I think it is. I think it's the, the the mother of Charybdis, right? You know, Scylla and Charybdis. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she she's the scary one. But yeah, it, it it's so that sort of takes us to to modern. It's almost like you can hit you hit those two rocks and then get to modern and you know get to Frankenstein and then go from there. Um, I don't know. I think I, I I feel like we've hit a lot. Like Children of the Corn is scary because it's the kids. You know, it's sort of the same thing. You got five kids or whatever. Then they're all you know not maybe more than five. They're all demonic. Um, you know the the whole. But the, the one you were talking about where the 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 you know the Antichrist becomes the Pope. I mean, that's the that's you know, if it's not the mother of all conspiracies, it's at least the, the great grandmother of all conspiracies um i mean there's other conspiracies but uh that you know that's the one that all bad things come from the vatican and they're you know one of the one of the 10 kings or whatever and well i'm sure there's plenty of bad things that come from the, the vatican i you know i don't i don't necessarily think that it's anti anti-christal in nature i mean it's 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 very much the business of christ <laughs> but um, I don't think well, it's... And, it's and it's human nature and it's it's the fact that in every institution that you have people in you're going to have people who do bad things and none of us wants to admit that our institution is that but it is I, I don't care what institution it is if it's been around long enough and it's got enough people in it there's and it's different levels maybe it's just a little stealing Maybe, you know, but there'll be something in it. So, well, there's no other big enough one single organization in the religious world. Powerful because, enough. Yeah, because it's like 50,000 different religions, but the, you know, but the Catholic Church probably is a billion of them. So it's, it's a, you know, sort of a easy target again. I'm sure not a completely innocent one as well. I'm not, I'm certainly not going to get into that, uh, you know, even though I just did. Um, but I'm going to stop. Uh, so yeah, we, so we have also, you know, there's also the psycho, but I think that's also sort of the battle of one's own demons, you know, just the descent into madness and how you can trick people and that sort of thing. But I, I want to a little bit go into 
what's up with zombie stuff? I mean, all, you know, zombies, you know, when I was growing up, zombies were sort of mid. Sure, there was Night of the Living Dead, which was scary when you're seven, but it's hokey when you're 15. Then they redid Day of the Dead, and there were these blue things with milky eyes. But, you know, they weren't the big scare. Werewolves were the scare. Witches, Satan, demon. Um, you know, now zombies, zombies everywhere. I don't get it. And zombies are slow, so why can't you just outrun them? Yeah, well, now they've made some with fast zombies like Train to Busan, and which I hear is a good movie, but the one with that was on Netflix that they made a sequel to was terrible. I mean, it was laughably bad. And I get in The Walking Dead that the zombies aren't The Walking Dead, the humans are The Walking Dead. The, you, know, I, I, you know, I figured that out pretty early on, um, just like I think everyone else figured it out early on. Um, I don't know. I, you know, uh, I don't find... I don't find, I find zombies to be the most boring of the Revenant family. Well, I think so too. I mean, werewolves are at least interesting because they change. Mm -hmm. And I, th I think one of the things that is frightening is, like you said about Rosemary's Baby, people that you think you can trust who, be who either are or become something evil um that's that that's the most frightening thing is i believe this is my safe place and it is not i believe this is my safe person and he is not if it's somebody out there and we're going to fight them together yeah it's scary and people might die but it doesn't have the terror of I'm completely alone here, and those that I thought I could trust are going to eat me. Right. Or like, Which, or like the ghost that follows you. It's not a place. You can get out of the place, maybe. But if it's something that's following you or your family, you, 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 know, you can't get out without, well, abandoning your family. Or the, the possession idea... I think, you know, in The Exorcist, you're scared of the person who is possessed and you're scared of the demon who's in the person who's possessed. But aren't you really more afraid that the demon's going to enter you? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and that gets with the insanity idea. Or that are you more afraid the demon's going to enter you or that the, or that the demon thing is going to rip you asunder? Because I think, again, it's about yourself because... I would be tempted to let the demon come into me rather than being ripped apart. Like, I'm more afraid of the pain than I am of becoming a monster. I can see that. I can see that. I, it's, it's all about each person, though. That's, I guess, was what I'm thinking. You have these stories that are about people who will sacrifice themselves for others, but there's some reason they do that if, if they're realistic characters that is something more than altruism there's there's some reason they're driven to prove themselves or and i i count the possession things like the is there something that has entered my mind almost like the whole thing about the earworm that's going to come and burrow into my brain it's making me insane, and I can't control it. 
and I am becoming something I don't want to be. Whether that's a horrible person or not, it's just I'm becoming something I would not choose. I, that's an interesting concept to me. Well, that's why John McClain is the perfect hero, because all he was a guy, and all he wanted to do was, was, you know, hopefully repair his marriage. That's, that's all he wanted to do. And he go through Dante's seven levels or nine levels of, of hell to, to, to get through it, uh, no matter what. Barefoot walk, running through the glass, no matter what. Just, just to try to save his estranged wife and other pe- and strangers. Even even if there was no reason for him to believe that his, that his estranged wife, you know, would would get less estranged because he was she was seduced by other things, her career, money, power, whatever. So he's the perfect hero, as opposed to, say, you know, me, who you know maybe I'd get in the way, but maybe because I wanted to become the next demon myself, maybe I wanted the power of Azazel. You know, and, and you know, because I because I want to become the vampire. I just, I, you know, you get away, but part of it is, but I'm not. Am I sacrificing, or am I sort of a willing participant in what's coming next? Yeah, well, I've always considered myself to be uh, at, at base a, a coward, and so the the thing about would you choose the pain or would you choose to become a demon? I, it depends on whether I think being a demon would be painful. <laughs> <laughs> fair, f- fair enough. All right, so I let's let's wrap up with. I, I'm going to guess. I'm not going to speak for you. I'm going to guess that you're quintessential. Uh, if if someone had to read one horror book, that you're saying The Shining, read the book, not the movie, right? Okay. Yeah. For me, pretty much anything Stephen King wrote. I mean, he's just a master. I agree with you on The Shining. I'm not sure I agree with you on anything Stephen King wrote. Yes, I wrote. I've read a lot of his books, which doesn't mean I don't enjoy him. Obviously, oh, I do. No, he's written. I, I will. I will take that back. He's written some that I did not enjoy. So, yeah. and particularly November twenty second, that thing just went on forever and ever. I don't know, but like The Stand, I don't think it's a bad book, but I don't think it's particularly scary. Like whenever it got scary, the scene ended. Um, Salem's Lot, good vampire book, but not great. I mean, again, wasn't particularly yeah. scary. Um, the scariest book for me, which is also my favorite book, so I'm obviously a mark for this book, is a book called The, Des- the Descent by Jeff Long. And, and yes, I believe the movie was loosely, 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 loosely based upon it. Um, but, you know, that many looselys. Uh, but that is the only book that really scared the you know, the whatever adjective you want to put in there, whatever noun or pronoun you want to put in there, but scared it out of me. Um, and I love it. And I've read it five times. So I guess I like being scared. Um, anyway, tell us one last spooky thing. If you got one last spooky thing in you. Well, I have, I have one, I'll, I'll do my story about how I really do want to be a bad person, which in the sixth grade, there was a girl who, was a bully and uh, she invited her over, herself over to my house one afternoon basically because she wanted me to do her homework and she thought if she acted like she was my friend for the day I would do that and instead of doing that I convinced her that I was a witch and I made her bleed onto a key which was a key to a dinky little diary that I had 
and explained to her that I now had power over her because I had initiated her into my coven. And I gave her various rules that she had to follow. I don't remember all of them, but I do remember that she had to pull her bed out from the wall and walk around it counterclockwise three times every evening before she went to sleep. And that's just a sign to me that given the opportunity, I really would be evil. I've never been more proud of you. Um, Stephanie, tell folks where they can find your work and purchase it if they would like. Um, I'm not currently published anywhere except a picture book, which is published by Doodle and Peck. It is on Amazon. The picture book is called Alfred, and it's probably not a big uh, uh, seller for your crowd. It is about a moose who wants to dance and is told that he cannot. Does the so. moose sharpen his antlers and kill everyone afterwards? No, he does put his antlers through the wall of the dance studio, but no, babe, no, babe, I'm, I'm baby, afraid it's not a... Baby steps for Alfred. I, I, yeah, I, I don't I don't think it's for your crowd. I'm or baby hooves. Well, they still step. What? Baby hooves, but they, they, they still step. All right, so anyway. you don't have you you're not hawking anything. All right, well that's fine. I'm not hawking anything though. That's fine. That that that's the that's the that's the that's the treat for you in the Garden of Doom along with the trick. So happy Halloween to everyone, Stephanie. Thank you for going through the research and thank you for putting together the outline and thank you for balancing telling stories with going through the history and putting things in context and just the conversation. I hope that the audience finds it interesting. I know I did, and uh, we will chat soon about other things audience please like subscribe hey if you want a kid's book check out uh, alfred and buy it make it a big seller you never know uh could be the perfect christmas gift uh, the moose doesn't kill anyone so thank you for coming in again give us a rating and a review tell your friends and we'll hear you next time in the garden of doom i can tell you for upcoming shows I'm doing a deep dive with Matt Williams, our space journalist and sci-fi writer on Babylon 5. I had an interview with an actual First Nation, actual shaman, shaman that's going to be dropping pretty soon. Um, and some of our favorites are coming back. Jim Willis, I'm talking to him, Reverend Jim Willis. And I'm talking to Professor Michael York soon about comparative mythology. So fear not, we got a whole lot of stuff coming up in the Garden of Doom, uh, booked into 23. So... We ain't stopping soon, but we, and Garden Views will be making its heroic comeback in November. I've got two episodes of Garden Views recorded, one on space law, of course, and one on something even scary, death and taxes. All right, see y'all.